This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and cents, the show all about personal finance. And I'm Simwee Boon. A recent survey conducted by Luno aimed at understanding financial management habits of everyday Malaysians found that more than half of Malaysians say the most important purpose of having money is to safeguard their families' well-being, while nearly a third of them are more inclined to seek financial advice from family members or peers, and a small percentage, about 19%, seeking professional sources. So how exactly do Malaysians view wealth and financial planning? Are they on track? And, you know, with the survey being done by Luno, how do they feel about investments like cryptocurrency? All these questions I'll be posing to Aaron Tang, country manager of Luno Malaysia, and also Han Liu, co-founder and director of Janixu. Thank you for being on the show, guys. Um, Aaron, uh, let's start off with... Um, my first question. Uh, this survey, um, why was it done? How was it done? Like, just maybe a brief introduction to this survey. Thanks for having me, Sim. So, as you mentioned, the survey was trying to get some insights about the financial management habits of regular Malaysians. We actually worked together with an international research data and analytics group, which is known as YouGov. And the data we collected was actually from more than a thousand Malaysian adults throughout the country. And it was a statistically accurate representation. So um, fieldwork was actually undertaken between 27th to 31st August 2021. And the figures have already been weighted and are representative of all Malaysian adults aged 18 and above. It also covers all of Malaysia, uh, including Central, North, South, East Coast and also Borneo. So generally speaking, um, maybe Aaron, you can start off and then Han, you can come in with what you think about it. Is How do you think COVID-19 has impacted Malaysians' attitudes and view towards financial management? I think Malaysians, uh, we're starting to really feel the, the, the impact in terms of cost of living. You know, COVID, it, it's been a really tough situation for many, many people. And a lot of people are feeling this uh, rising cost of living. A lot of people are getting spooked by inflation. And because of that, we're starting to see that investors start looking at alternative assets like cryptocurrencies. Uh, in addition to that, we've also seen a lot of news of central banks worldwide pumping more money into circulation as a response to try and recharge the economy. As a result, many people are actually very concerned that the value of normal money is dropping and they start to look for alternative assets like cryptocurrencies. Hmm, okay, Han, what, what do you think about this? I think uh, two parts, right? Um, so, you know, as a as a licensed financial planner at Regan Plus, uh, we see lots of, of customers, right? And what we see across two areas, number one, on general spending and savings behavior, this pandemic, you know, has given many people a clear focus on building uh, long-term resilience, right? So cutting back a little bit, uh, building resilience in terms of, you know, emergency savings to, to defend against kind of external factors outside of their control, right? Uh, pandemics, lockdowns, etc. Right. And then on the investor side, what we're seeing is an unprecedented number of people, right? Sitting at home uh, for a large part of the last 18 months, uh, trying to figure out what to do, how to invest, uh, doing it digitally is the key point, right? And that leads you on to digital investing, digital platforms, and then uh, naturally, I guess, uh, 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 something good for Aaron's business, which is, you know, interest in digital first assets, right? Such as cryptocurrencies. Okay, well, we'll talk about investing in a bit, but let's talk about savings now because in the Luno survey, uh, Aaron, um, 64% of the total sample population stated that they save money often. So, 
what I want to know is like, what are these kind of uh, habits of Malaysians when it comes to saving? How much do they usually save? What are the different trends across the age group? Um, did, did the survey cover that? If not, then what are your general thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, we found several pretty interesting things from the survey. I was very surprised myself. The, the one thing that I want to point out is that respondents in the age 18 to 34 years old group were actually the most likely 66% to be in the regular savers group. Now, in comparison to that, only 55% of 55-plus-year-olds considered themselves regular savers. So that was, to me, a very interesting um, piece of research because typically we, we tend to say that, oh, the younger people are the ones who aren't being responsible, you know, uh, they need to buck up, etc. So um, some, some other things that um, we found very interesting is that young people, will actually benefit not only from um, you know the, the things that they, they read online today, but they're also able to, to rely on the older generations. Uh, and these are things like prudent debt management, uh, positive savings behavior, diversification of assets, and consistency in investing. I think the, the one thing that um, I was a little bit concerned is that people are still relying a lot on their friends and families to get financial advice, whereas uh, the percentage of people actually reaching out to financial advisors is still pretty low. So hopefully that's something that we'll see increasing in, in more uh, future time. You know, talking about this view towards uh, savings, Han, um, you know, in your line of work with the people that you talk to and advise in Ringgit Plus, does this tally, does the finding tally, do young people actually are the ones that are saving more compared to slightly older folks? Yeah, I think when, when uh, Aaron kind of explained the results to me, I got very interested as well because we found uh, a slight nuance across the board, right? Where, where which is, uh, I mean, something that we, we, we do ourselves, our own study, right? And then what we find is in general, Malaysians struggle to save a lot, right? So a lot meaning in terms of amount, right? But I think uh, uh, Aaron's uh, uh, study showed, uh, the Lulu study showed that, hey, look, like there's a propensity to understand more about the importance of regular saving, right? So while people struggle to save, right, like, uh, the fact that younger people, you know, through digital uh, platforms and channels are starting to do it more regularly, that's an interesting point, right, which is so you've got a whole, uh, and I don't think they are necessarily in conflict with each other. So if you've got a whole cohort of people, right, who are extremely kind of uh, adept at using these digital platforms to save and doing it regularly, uh, yet, you know, are not able to save as much uh, as, you know, previous generations uh, vol- uh, amount-wise. So then... Uh, where does that leave us, right? It becomes clear, I guess, to all of us in financial services industry that we need to start engaging in this segment, right? Where they are, right? Uh, which is not high touch, high ticket sizes, you know, lots, large volumes, but, you know, digital engagements, you know, small but regular savings. Uh, and we need to tailor products uh, for that kind of behavior. So for me, that's kind of interesting to two angles to the same to the same picture, if that makes any sense. I can add on to that, Sim, um, mm-hmm. specifically in our survey, we didn't look at the amount that people are actually uh, willing to save on a monthly or a quarterly or even a yearly basis. So I think where perhaps we, we find uh, some areas of similarity, as Han has mentioned, is that I think the young people really want to save. You know, they consider themselves as regular savers. But I think everyone is really struggling at, at the moment to, to have a big amount of money to save. Okay, but that struggle aside, could this also be a circumstantial situation? Because again, we go back to what you said earlier, the 
interesting finding is that young people are saving more or is find it um, are, are the ones that are saving a bit more than the older people but could it, could it be also because of a situation of you know the past two years young people are staying indoors you know they, they can't do as many activities as the younger folks maybe five six years ago were doing whereas the older people they can't afford to save more because they have more expenses in dealing with COVID-19 could that be could this habit also be situational which then makes me wonder if this is something that will be carried on towards the future well that's a really interesting point actually um, Sim uh, I guess uh, don't mind if I, I come in this one yeah, yeah, right, which ahead. is two, two things to say that I guess uh, the two kind of anecdotal points the first one is I guess statistics from kind of uh, DOSM, right, the Statistics Department in Malaysia, who say, hey, look, discretionary spend for the last kind of 18 months has been very depressed, right? And then uh, I think it stands to reason that, you know, these people, uh, young people, people who go out and do that discretionary spend, right, um, then see that they're, 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 they spend a, a bit less on that. And what we see is, is kind of similar trends in our own clients, right, in, in the financial planning and advisory business, which is, you know, lots of uh, uh, forced cuts by, I guess, the governments and lockdown. Uh, on on things like travel, on things like um, uh, uh, dining out, right, which are two big spending areas, food and and travel, uh, which which you know correlate with the Department of Statistics, right, in terms of uh, re- reduction in spend. So I guess there is some truth in that. Uh, but I think for for us, I mean, for between uh, Aaron and myself, what we really see is you know lack of uh, 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 lack of change of mindset for for the the traditional financial services industry in responding to these trends, right? In, in saying, mm-hmm. hey, look, these people have a little bit of money. Uh, they want to save regularly, but you are more geared towards folks, you know, with big lump sums going into the market uh, and, 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 you know, high touch points, relationship managers and stuff like that. So there's a huge opportunity, right, for, for, for engaging with a whole new cohort of people who are sitting at home, got a little bit of money to save, doing it regularly. Uh, so go and get them, right? I think that, that that's a key message there. Yeah, Aaron, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the situation hasn't been easy for, for anyone really, right? This past two years, I, I think even those among us who, who've been very privileged to, to be able to, to work online uh, or all the way to, to people who, who, who do physical work who've been really, really uh, uh, hammered by, by this COVID situation, I think everyone's had it really tough. So definitely, I would say that behavioral our behaviors have definitely changed, right? They've been affected. But that being said, I don't think this is uh, in any way detracting from the, the overall trend that we're seeing. Something that, that Han mentioned, that the younger people are, are getting into, you know, taking charge of their personal finances. They're very interested to save and invest. They're doing it with smaller amounts of money. I don't think that is a trend that will change even after COVID. In fact, I think it will just accelerate. And we'll be taking a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon. Joining me on the show today is Aaron Tang, Country Manager of Luno Malaysia, and Han Liu, Co-Founder and Director of Jinerksu. We're discussing financial habits of Malaysians. And now I'd like to ask Aaron, what did you observe based on Luno's survey regarding our attitudes towards investing? It's very interesting for me because, you know, I, I sort of work, uh, I, I sort of live in the cryptocurrency realm. So I often... Uh, I'm surrounded with people who are like uh, high risk takers, you know, they're they're very interested to, to invest in crypto. But on an overall perspective, what we've seen is actually Malaysians are somewhat conservative when it comes to their investing habits. Um, so, for example, I'll give you uh, some some examples. They, they prefer to actually allocate their savings to, to funds which are well established 
and give uh, more like regular investment returns and uh, will compound in value over time. So I think some of the, the, the what do you call that, the very popular investments are, for example, things like Amana Saham, which are, you know, are quite, people view it as very established and very safe. I think traditionally, when you talk about investing four out of five times, the word unit trust will come about. Han, in your line of work, what are the Malaysians' general attitudes towards investing? And has that changed over the years? So I think uh, it's been very clear that uh, a combination of uh, reduced interest rates in the last 18 months. So uh, as, as we all know, uh, Bank Negara has reduced our o- OPR many times <laughs> in the last uh, 18 months to, to kind of a historic low of 1.75%. So that's impacted folks who were previously highly conservative, right? Folks who were just going, hey, look, I'm a good saver. I've been taught to save all my life. I put it into a bank account. The highest kind of return products there are, you know, fixed deposits, high interest savings accounts. You know, those have been tremendously negatively impacted by not the, not the pandemic necessarily, but the indirect uh, actions uh, to to then curb, curb, curb the economic damage from the pandemic. So, you know, then what, what that leads on to many, is many people saying, hey, look, you know, I've got lots of savings. What do I do now, Han, um, and, uh, in, in our financial planning kind of sessions? And, and it's always, what's next up from there? Uh, what can I do that's still quite safe? Uh, so that kind of ties in with exactly what Aaron said, which is what's the next thing that people do after they save? Can I take not that much risk? And, and, and typically it's things like, okay, uh, ASB is good. Very, very diversified unit trusts, which invest in all the things I know, dividend focus, uh, that kind of thing, before they on, they go on to, to high-risk things. It's a, it's a natural progression. I think it's an unintended consequence, I guess, of uh, interest rates being so low. But is it hard to talk to the conservative people about taking a bit more risk? Actually, it's for me, it, it's hard to convince somebody to do uh, outside of what they normally do anyway, cryptocurrency or not. So even stock investing, even like investing in overseas, things like that. I think the, the, how we approach it is very simple, right? Which is, uh, what are your financial goals? Right? And if you are, whatever you're saving today, right, is sufficient slash uh, puts you on track to achieving those goals, then uh, there's no need to take any more risk uh, than, than, than you should, right? There's, then if you can get there just by plain saving in, a, in your EPF, a mix of EPF and, and, and your savings accounts, that's, that's totally fine. There's no need to take more risk, so why should you, right? But if you go, hey, look, I have a, uh, I have this aspiration to retire early, uh, earlier at least. Um, how, what, what's the best way I can get there? And, and how do you help me with the risk of, 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 of total ruin by getting there? Then we go, okay, looks like based on your new goal, you may need to take a little bit more risk. That involves kind of uh, allocating a bit more of your net worth or portfolio towards more risky assets that can derive higher return over the long term. So things like equity unit trusts, things like cryptocurrencies, a tiny bit in there. Um, and, and, and then go on that basis, which is, is to your need. Don't just take risk for the sake of taking risk. Understand what you're doing it for. And, and that normally convinces people, right? And Aaron, how do you then talk to people about cryptocurrency who are sceptical about it? You know, what's the apprehensions and the misunderstanding that people usually have towards cryptocurrency? For better or for worse, cryptocurrencies today still, there is a bit of a negative stereotype towards it. So I think usually that is the that is the number one thing we have to tackle uh, because, for example, the person may have heard from their relative or someone, uh, a long-lost friend, someone who had a bad negative experience with, for example, say, cryptocurrency scammers or they read something in the newspaper saying that cryptocurrency is used for uh, illegal activities. So typically that is the number one thing that we have to, to discuss with people about. Um, and moving on from that, Uh, typically what we will explain to them is we will tell them that cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, for example, these are 
neutral technologies and then we talk to them about you know how these technologies work um, the the performance over the past uh, decade and so on and then we try and give people an understanding of uh, what are some of the potential benefits that cryptocurrencies can bring to people? Uh, we also talked about some of the risks involved in investing. Uh, but ultimately, what we provide is merely a, a safe and easy way for people to invest. We actually ourselves, we don't give uh, financial advice. We never tell people, oh, you must invest in cryptocurrency and so on. We ultimately leave this decision to them. And uh, if they have good financial planners who, who work with them, then that's really cool as well. Yeah, okay. So now I want to ask the financial planner. I mean, at this point in time, Han, do you think investing it as, as a part of having a diversified portfolio, is, crypto, is, is cryptocurrency still somewhat of something that's risky or something that has become necessary in a diversified portfolio? Oh, wow. Good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, what can't be denied is, <laughs> is a clear interest, right? At least there's clear invest, growing investor interest in cryptocurrencies. Uh, uh, that, that cannot be denied, right? Uh, what also cannot be denied is uh, institutional acceptance of this new asset class, both abroad and at home. So, in fact, like abroad, you see many highly multi-billion-dollar institutions starting to adopt it as treasury assets. But more so in Malaysia, uh, uh, the the SC Securities Commission themselves have prescribed cri- cryptocurrencies as a security. So, be, there's one thing that you need to take out of this segment as a financial advisor is that whether you're retail, institutional, or just an advisor, you need to at least analyze this, this, this digital asset, analyze it as an asset class, not just dismiss it, right? Uh, because of that prescription from the SC, you've got to analyze it. And for me, uh, uh, having analyzed it, there are clear benefits to having some very small uh, uh, allocation in cryptocurrency within your overall portfolio. Some uh, benefits, not just in the high returns, that's kind of well-known, but in the diversification uh, uh, to your entire portfolio, right? Having a little bit of digital assets, a couple of percentage points, adds a huge amount of diversification because they behave very differently to other securities. So that's just something to say, you need to at least consider it, uh, not just dismiss it. Whether you actually invest or not, separate issue. Okay. And in terms of uh, interesting finding, which is somewhat to be expected, I think if I look around and talk to my friends, is that, you know, a lot of these Malaysians that are looking to invest, looking to savings, so taking financial advice, they go towards their families and peers, and then only very small potential goes for professional sources. Han, this affects you, right? You're the financial planner here. Does this result reflect to what you see on the ground? And if so, I mean, how do you approach maybe people who have been listening to their family and friends for financial advice? Yeah, no, for me, I think the, the key here is to make sure we bridge the two worlds, right? The two worlds meaning uh, the first world being uh, traditionally who are the experts? They're, they're licensed people, certified people. They, 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 they go uh, you know, from uh, institution to institution. They, they sit at those institutions. You go into a, a bank branch, there should be someone right at the back who is an expert uh, or you have to meet, meet with a financial advisor of sorts in a cafe or whatever. So it becomes kind of very restrictive to most people. And then on the other hand, you have this whole segment of people who are reading things online, right? Uh, social media, online portals and blogs, uh, 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 you know, downloading, the, you, know, you know, mentally downloading information into their minds from, from online sources. So you've got to try and uh, meet people where they are with the same level of professionalism as, you know, being, uh, licensing and uh, being a certified person as well. So I think uh, the next challenge for us uh, to help the uh, large majority of Malaysians is to bridge that gap, to bring, you know, licensed professional advice uh, and, and online and scale it, right, for, for millions of people, not just a handful. I think that's kind of uh, what you mentioned, right? It's in line with what we want to do. 
right? And uh, uh, more power to it, I hope. Uh, but for yeah, for me, it's th- these three things, right? Uh, social media, online portals, family and friends. Uh, you need to marry that with you know having a bit of professionalism uh, uh, in the industry as well. Okay. Any final thoughts from uh, the both of you, Aaron? Maybe you can start off with you. I think we've we've chatted about, about so many things. Um, uh, I I reiterate it again. Uh, I think. Uh, Hans' suggestions that you you can't ignore cryptocurrencies is a really powerful one. Um, and what I found is many times, you know, cryptocurrencies, people approach it with a, a very skeptical mindset and rightly so. I think you should be skeptical and you should evaluate new things. However, I think if you, you go with an open mindset and perhaps maybe even try to put a very, very small amount of skin in the game, as I mentioned, like one ringgit is a very low minimum amount for investment. I think... Uh, regardless of whether you believe in, in, in it as a long-term investment or not, you will definitely learn some really cool and powerful new things about uh, new ways of investing and new new forms of digital assets. Mm. And Han, what about you? Uh, I guess I have to be a bit responsible here and say, look, like if, if you're looking to invest, right, regardless of what, uh, whether it's cryptocurrencies or stocks or bonds or unit trusts, you need to really understand uh, what you're investing in. Uh, and the same is true for digital assets like cryptocurrencies, right? Uh, don't just go, hey, look, I want to invest in it because uh, I heard it makes me money. Uh, more like I understand the nature of that asset class, how it behaves with the rest of my portfolio, what the asset class is actually for, uh, you know, things like store of value, proof of ownership, that kind of thing, right? If you don't really understand it, as with anything else, don't invest in it. Uh, get, uh, and if you don't understand it and have no time to do it, uh, find a licensed uh, individual such as a certified financial planner. Uh, and we are here to help, right? So that's yeah. kind of last one from me. Know what you're getting yourself into at the end of the day is the main message here. That's all the time for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Aaron Tang, Country Manager of Luno Malaysia, and Han Liu, Co-Founder and Director of Jinrixu. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We've got the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Wee Boon from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.